This episode of AI Meets World is brought to you by Microsoft, making artificial intelligence accessible globally. Keep listening to hear how Microsoft is designing trusted AI innovations that extend and empower human capabilities around the world. Hey, Navneet. Uh, so I was having dinner with my partner's family the other day, and his eight-year-old niece had her mind blown with the idea that she is as old as the iPad. What? That before April of 2011, there was no such thing as this small device that could deliver entertainment and knowledge on demand at the push of your finger. And, you know, that made me feel incredibly old. But but it also made me think about how I couldn't imagine a world without telephones or, or before TV or radio. I was born when the internet wasn't a thing, and I still can't imagine what my life would be without it. Right. How many people have I made feel old with my own eight-year-old cries of, what do you mean you've never played Oregon Trail, Grandpa? <laughs> you know, there's actually this sort of debate in science and technology studies as to whether or not we have lived through something unprecedented. Seriously? Yeah, like whether or not our era is unique, like okay. the rise of the internet. But something that I often think about is just how quickly things have changed. So like one example, in 2005, no one had ever heard of Facebook, no. right? Now, in 2019, 2.3 billion people use it. That's mind-boggling. Yeah, that's more people than were alive at the start of the 20th century. That's bananas. Yeah. It's the scale, right, and the pace of the change that's so mind-blowing, and also the reason that we're so baffled by so much of what has happened. See, and that's why I think sci-fi can give us a really good idea of the technological desires that the human imagination wants fulfilled. Right. But how are we actually learning how to build it? How are we teaching the next generation how to not only use the tech that's come before them, but build on those technologies and finally give me my own helper from Venture Brothers? That little guy is so freaking cute. <laughs> and with that, how are we giving them the skills to emotionally and ethically handle the challenges that can come from new tech, like social ramifications of creating platforms for people to communicate freely? I am looking at you, Facebook and Twitter. What I'm asking is, how are we ensuring our Padawans are turning into solid Jedis and not going to the dark side? Right. It's a good question. I'm just saying. This week, we're talking about AI, education, and work, and how AI is not only helping us work more efficiently, both at school and in our businesses, but how we're training the leaders of tomorrow to take those challenges head-on using coding languages, the power of social networks, and the undeniable charm of Brad Pitt. I'm Navneet Alang. And I'm Becky Shripton, and this is AI Meets World, a podcast from Microsoft and the Globe Content Studio. There has been a lot of talk about how millennials are quote-unquote digital natives, meaning that they grew up with tech in their normal habitats. Okay. But I was curious about what the equivalent might be for the next generation of what we might call AI natives. Okay, but are they growing up with AI in their natural habitat? I mean, have they got AI in school now? Where did they find the budget for that? Yeah, no, they, they don't have AI in most schools, or okay. at least not in normal schools. And that can be kind of a problem given how important AI is, right? And nowadays, it's kind of commonplace to see kids walking around with a smartphone or a tablet, right? Oh, yeah. I am always floored when I see like a three-year-old just chatting away to a voice assistant on an iPhone or, or figuring out how a filter works on a selfie. I can't even figure that out. <laughs> I personally need filters to make myself look presentable, oh, but hush. Uh, the trouble is that the traditional school system isn't really teaching kids how the technologies that they interact with on a day-to-day -day basis actually work. Yeah. So we're moving toward this world where there are so many routine jobs that can be automated and possibly even replaced by AI. Big concerns for lots of people. Right. So what we need to do is sort of equip kids from an early age to cope with and understand how to work with tech so that they aren't left behind. Mm. So countries around the world are investing in these initiatives sort of to close what, what's called a digital skills gap, even Canada. That's great. So a review from Tacit 
Elements in 2018 reports that digital skills gap could cost the Canadian GDP $65 billion in unrealized developments per year. That's a big number. Yeah, right. I personally think that it's important for young people to develop a kind of data or tech literacy and understand how to ethically collect and analyze data as these skills become more integrated into kind of every field, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's healthcare, it's the legal system, it's business, it's everything. It's what we've been talking about on this podcast. And, and for kids spending this much time in front of screens, it's also important for them to understand their own personal data and security, uh, what that data is being collected for, what's being collected about them, and why. And as someone who's kind of into sci-fi, kind I, of? Li- little bit, I want the next generation of workers to be well-versed in why we build AI. What does it mean to create sentience? And, and what are the human skills we can work on developing that won't be replaceable? Yeah, these are huge topics, right? Yeah. And so for reasons of finance, of infrastructure, and all these sort of sociocultural dimensions, those aren't being answered yet in our regular curriculum. But what we are starting to see are kind of specialized programs emerge as educators recognize just how big a deal AI is. That's exciting. And one of them is Naveed Nathu of the Knowledge Society, more commonly called TKS. And his program is primarily for high school students and runs on the weekends. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I went to talk to Naveed about why he calls TKS a human accelerator. We take ambitious and curious people and we accelerate them to help them achieve their full potential to really unlock what they're capable of. Because our most valuable resource is not gold or oil, it's people. But the way that we're extracting human potential is like using a pickaxe to mine for gold. Our thing is like we want to develop unicorn people. So in the Bay Area, like the term unicorn companies, like startups that grow to a billion dollars or more within like 10 years type of thing. And so for us, it's like, how do we develop unicorn people that will impact billions? So when we visited TKS, the students were in the middle of a quote-unquote hackathon where they were trying to imagine new ways to use the tech that they're learning about. That tech being AI. AI and other forms. So each student in TKS chooses a technology focus from quantum computing to cellular agriculture to nanotechnology or, of course, AI. You know, normal hobbies for most teenagers. Yeah, exactly. It's like a paper route. So we sat down with a few of the TKS students to hear about what they're up to. Cool. So a lot of us have chosen AI, um, especially just because it's a great place to start. If you're going to look into other technologies, AI plays a role in a lot of them and can connect with a lot of other areas of focuses. So a lot of us are looking into AI right now and like its applications and like, for example, I'm using AI to like minimize um, illegal fishing operations and stuff like that. There are people who are building like chess playing algorithms, skin cancer detectors, like yeah. Like brain tumors. Someone's working on like an autonomous vehicle. Like if you ask anybody here, they're all going to be working how many kids are involved with this? Well, in Toronto, there are about uh, 160 students, and TKS is planning to open more branches around Canada and the U.S. Okay, so when will they be repurposing Castle Loma for, like, this new Professor X X-Men Academy? Uh, I don't know, but I do agree. Like, it does kind of feel like these kids are next level. Yeah. But for obvious reasons funding, how slow change can happen, etc. The traditional school system isn't serving them yet. So we talked to the kids about what the usual school system is currently missing. Also, I feel like school doesn't really reward you for taking risks or doing things that are different. You just want to like give a semi-good essay that your teacher likes the topic, so you get like a 100. But for something like this, you can take a risk and try something that might not work, it might work, and if it works, like you've just made a brain-controlled remote control car. And also, tell us a why. So like, why are we learning all these different things? Like, why am I learning calculus? If you told me that in the end from learning calculus, you can learn about machine learning, like I'd be super excited. I'd be super excited if you told me like with calculus, you can do all of these amazing things with AI in the future. And it's, AI is going to be a huge industry in the future. Right now we're learning calculus. Okay, what does it apply to? 
I can totally relate to that. I think the biggest complaint I had around my schooling was that I was never really able to see how something like specialized math would apply in the career I saw for myself. Like, uh, when was I going to need Pythagorean theorem in my future career as a comedy writer and Oscar-winning actress? Of course. Yeah, exactly. I was the next Emma Thompson. But but it turns out that even learning how to balance books or, or make a business plan are all things that I have needed to know. And they were never really addressed directly. It was, it was really just like, uh, here are some skills, and, and you'll know when the time is right to apply them. Right. We often think of education as giving students a kind of well-rounded base to prepare them for the world. That's the theory. But now that there's been so much change in the last 10 or 20 years... And it's just getting faster. Yeah. They need to be prepared for an unpredictable future because AI is changing the future of work. It's about learning a way of thinking rather than specific skills. Okay. Like, before, like, the standard for success was kind of, like, go to high school, get really good grades, go yeah. to a good university. Yeah. After university, you'll get a job. But it's not, like, yeah. that's like not how the... you'll be a doctor. You'll be a lawyer. You'll be, yeah. you'll be yeah. like... But that's not how the real world works, I find. Like, it's about, like, like having, like, people, like, a network. Like, your network is your net worth. So just developing... <laughs> just developing, like, strong ties with people. And before, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, business, like, that's where the money's at. Or, like, law. Like, that's what... Like, it's, like, it's almost guaranteed. But, like, now that you see, like, AI and stuff in the future, like, it's not guaranteed. So it's like you have to be unconventional. Yeah. And like so many things are changing, so school should follow soon. <laughs> this reminds me, Becky, have you heard of this website, willrobotstakemyjob.com? Oh my gosh. No, I haven't, but I think I can guess what you're getting at. I mean, it's everywhere in the news that everybody's worried they're going to lose their job because of AI. Is it related to that? A little bit. Okay. So why don't we actually pull it up? Okay, great. So what you do is, is you type in your job title. Okay, actor. And it will tell you how likely it is that you will be replaced by a robot. What does it say for you, Becky? Uh, there is a 37% chance that I am going to be replaced by a robot. But I don't know if I agree with their definition of actor. That's just me, though. Okay, let's do me. So I'm a writer. Oh, me too. So what does it say for that? Okay, it says... Fortunately, that there's only a 4% chance that writers and authors will get replaced by robots. Creativity for the win. Okay, that makes me think about this short film called Sunspring from 2016. Have you heard of this? No. So the script was written entirely by an AI named Ben, but performed by three actors, including Thomas Middleditch from Silicon Valley. Uh, and the script itself is just total word salad silliness. It's delightful, but, but it made me think, at some point, is even creativity going to be replaced by machines? Luckily, they included the outtake so you can see the actors and the director trying to make sense of what they're saying. And that part was definitely reassuring. So we're safe for now. Exactly. We're not at that point yet. Uh, now or in the foreseeable future when AI is going to be able to create profound and creative works. But even though I've got myself a future-proof gig, I know not everyone does. Fortunately, at TKS, they're preparing students to do very different kinds of work. That's great. And hopefully also developing students' social skills as well. And so the point of that is that you give them a strong foundation in both technical and human skills because those are things that can't be replaced. Great. Here's Naveed. We want to build a really strong community because people are so important. And I think now more than any time in history, individuals are more important than ever. Because if you're going to just do a repetitive task, something's going to replace you. And so we need to develop people that are not replaceable. And so now we have to think differently. It's not about iterating on our existing ways we develop people. It's about creating a new model to develop human 2.0. Like that's what we need. We need human 2.0 because machines exist and now they're smart. Naveed thinks one of the most important things that we need to instill in these students is adaptability. Well, yeah, because we don't know what the future looks like. 
One thing that Yuval says, who's the author of Sabians and Lessons for the 21st Century, he says that our whole history, we've been building stone houses, and now we need to start building tents. So if you build a stone house, that means you're set in your ways. It's a fixed mindset, right? Like you can't move around. You just have to stay there. But if you build a tent, you can learn how to reinvent yourself. Pack up, move somewhere else, and build a tent there, right? When you think about AI, because AI is changing the world so quickly, there's going to be so many new industries that are going to come out. There's going to be so many other industries that are going to fall apart and get disrupted or completely replaced. And if you have a tent, you can start moving to those new places and you can move out from the old redundant things. And so it is a mindset that we need to teach. Okay, that metaphor is great. Like it's less about predicting the future of everybody going into tech, but but building transferable skills. Yeah. Yeah, like like I went to theater school and while I don't work on stage that often, uh, tools like public speaking are still relevant in my job every day. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> But I think that you really hit on something there, which is that it's hard to predict where the industry will go. Yeah. So I asked Naveed what other skills he thinks are important for students to develop when he doesn't know what work is even going to look like by the time they turn 20 or 30 or 40. So it is a lot of like soft skills, right? Asking good questions, building relationships with people. And, and a lot of that stems from empathy, how to understand people's perspective. Like you, I think you need to understand technology. I don't think it's a nice to have. I think it's a problem that not all high schools and middle schools and elementary schools teach code. I think it's a problem that a lot of people think, oh, I'm not an engineer, I'm not a coder, so I'm not gonna like look into those things. It's like learning English. You don't think, oh, I'm not good at language, so I'm not gonna learn English. There's more machines in the world than there are people. So we should understand how to speak their language. So I think knowing how to code and knowing how to build machine learning algorithms and, and you know just generally AI is a fundamental skill. I don't think it's a supplemental skill. That kind of makes me think about like how coding is like learning Esperanto. Wait, Esperanto was like they tried to invent a new language that would become the new universal language. That right? is correct. Right. And it's a combination of the different romantic languages. It sounds like Italian when you speak it. Have you ever heard of the movie Incubus? Uh, I have. Does it star my good friend Bill Shatner? It does. Oh, I'm so proud of you, Nav. For those of you who don't know, it's this film that's entirely in Esperanto. There's clips of it on YouTube. Can't recommend it enough. Anyways, we were talking about uh, coding, which is a skill a lot of us are going to have to learn to develop. Uh, I learned how to code myself a little while ago, mostly because it makes me smile that the first phrase you learn how to code involves the line... Hello, world. Right, I've heard of that. It makes the whole thing a little less scary and a little more human, friendly. Yeah, and human is what we're going for, right? And yeah. like Naveed said, we're not going to replace soft skills like communication or connection or creativity. As a woman with an arts degree, I like this. And TKS is definitely also trying to build good networkers. After we met with the TKS kids, our producer Pippa got 11 LinkedIn requests. And, and, and uh, what did one of them say before? Your network is your net worth. Put it on a t-shirt, right? Yeah, I know. Hold on, are we past t-shirts? Are t-shirts cool? Maybe we should talk to these students. But you can see that they're really excited to take on these big, ambitious projects, and they don't shy away from starting them even though they're comparatively young. I think really understanding that um, you can do anything when you're young is super important. And also I think like right now is like one of the first times in history where being young can be more powerful than being old. Now that like all this information is out on the internet, young people can learn about like basically essentially the same thing as someone who was 20 or 30 years old. You don't have to go through university anymore, but younger people have more mental horsepower. Younger people have that charisma. It's kind of like a superpower being young at this stage in history. And if that isn't intimidating enough, four of Naveed's students actually interned at Microsoft over the summer. Oh, what? 
Yeah. TKS recently partnered with Microsoft to get young people developing these skills early, and they're really putting them to work. When I was their age, I was working two jobs and taking acting classes with my summer. Now, what were you doing? I was actually wasting most of my time sitting on a couch watching TV. And you still don't get any of my references. Sorry. Were you watching Frasier? Uh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, this whole thing kind of made me feel a bit old and obsolete. Oh, but it seems fine. really cool that companies like Microsoft are actually willing to take a chance on young people, and that the young people are actually then rising to the challenge. Yeah, and get those fresh ideas in there. Here's Naveed. It wasn't cute. They weren't getting coffees. They weren't tasked with some project for high school kids that, you know, the media could throw up and be like, look at us doing high school stuff. It was real things. It was so real that they extended their time at the end because they were like, we need you to help us finish this project because there's no one here that could do that. But it's the skills that they developed during TKS and the mindset and the knowledge that enabled them to actually add real tangible value to Microsoft. And, and that's the thing that I'm most excited about and proud of is that young people are not write-offs anymore. Maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, young people were the ones getting coffee, but now, Young people can start from base zero and learn important things rather than having to unlearn, which is what we have to do now as older people in society. I, I don't think I totally get what he means by unlearn. It's kind of like they had this pre-tech mindset that they went through school with, and now they have to kind of unlearn it to adapt themselves for the future. Okay. I feel like most of my university experience was unlearning all the things that I had learned before. And, like I said, went to theater school, whereas I learned those soft skills, which turns out transferable. I am future-proof. <laughs> if we all could have had opportunities like TKS when we were young, that would be one thing. But what do us so-called older people do now? Well, up next, we're talking post-secondary and how current workers can adapt to the changing world of business. But first, a word from Microsoft. We're living in a time of massive change, and the signs are all around us. It's in our businesses making sense of big data, in our hospitals as new technologies help doctors diagnose and prevent illnesses, and, and even in our homes as devices streamline your day so you can focus on what matters. This is the Invisible Revolution, and it's powered by innovative technologies. Microsoft is integrating artificial intelligence across all its products and services to extend the capabilities of individuals and organizations. With a powerful, trusted platform of AI services and tools, they're transforming business and enabling innovation. They believe in an AI future that makes things better for your planet, your business, and you. Join the AI revolution with Microsoft and achieve more. So we got to hear from the amazing kids at TKS. They're so great. But what about people who are already in the workforce or who haven't had the chance that the kids from TKS got? I mean, what about post-secondary? What are these kids going to grow up into? So to find out more about that, I talked to Marat Christel, the program director of Schulich at York University's Master of Business Analytics program and the soon-to-be program director of the Masters of Management in Artificial Intelligence as well. Uh, so what would that be, like an MMAI? That's exactly right, and it's starting this fall. And he was really excited to show us around this new building that was being developed. There's all these big, beautiful windows. It's clearly a place that was built for people and not the machines. This part that you see, all this we dedicated for analytics. The next one for our PhD students. And everything that you see here is just rooms because we created a cloud server with Azure to run everything on cloud. You don't see any computers per se, like you know how the people used to have server rooms and big rooms. You need to cool down, you need to, you know, regulate the temperature and everything. We don't have any of that. They store 
to virtual machines and then they fire them up and then they start cranking. This reminds me of our medicine episode where we spoke to Benjamin Habe Keynes, where he also talked about the benefits of cloud technology. Yeah, exactly. It saves space. So basically, the mandate of the MMAI program is it's trying to bridge the gap between business and AI people and develop workers who can understand both sides and help businesses adapt. Here he is. So we found this gap. They are called unicorns. They are called translators. But you need to produce graduates who have good training in statistics, computer science, in AI, in analytics, but who also have good training that can relate to business. And Navid talked about this too, right? Unicorns? Exactly. And Murat had a great analogy for why this is important. If anybody renovated a house, it's the same thing as like, okay, I'm going to just manage these trays. Well, if you don't know how to, you know, put a two by four wall, you are at the mercy of the trades because then they are the ones who are going to be dictating this is how it is done. And because you don't know, you'll be like, okay, I feel like there is something wrong here, but I cannot really, you know, point my finger what they are doing wrong. It's the same thing with people who claim to manage analytics. Well, if you don't know how something is done, how are you going to manage it? If you don't know how to build a model, if you don't know the complexities of how to get data into a computer, how to massage the data, then you are not going to be able to manage data scientists in the long run. They will know what to do. You'll be like, okay, if that's what you say, it's true. And as a layperson, you don't know. So if you don't see those things, you are not actually managing them. They are managing you. That's a good quote. But we're not talking about like Navid students who are 15-year-olds and they have all the time in the world to learn and adapt. How does a master's program like this actually help people prepare for, say, unknowns in the workplace? Well, I asked him about that, and he didn't sound too far off Navid. Uh, we're all kind of like young TKS students right now, having to adapt or, you know, as they say in Silicon Valley, upskill for the changes AI is going to bring. Here's Murat. We are not future-proven anybody because we cannot predict the future what we are doing is we are teaching them how to learn as things come up they will have to retool themselves if they know the fundamentals that will be much easier for them to achieve if they don't know the fundamentals and if it is just like you know you click here you click there and then here is the answer then you're just memorizing like a monkey that you have to hit a couple of buttons and then boom, there's numbers. And then two years later, there's something else. And then now you're memorizing that. That's not learning. To future proof, you teach the fundamentals. Math is math. Statistics is statistics. If they learn those fundamentals, then if something new comes up, it's easier to adapt because now you're adding up into your existing knowledge. So you're saying it's about uh, math? And statistics. Yeah, yeah, there's no quick fixes here. It's just good old-fashioned math. But one motivating factor is that the program makes learning those basics applicable because the students are paired with corporate partners and work on real projects with those companies. It's kind of like a work study, but turbo. It's kind of like what the TKS students were saying, right? They're complaining that regular school is missing how to translate those basics back to the real world. Exactly. Now, luckily, Murat is factoring that in as he develops this MMAI program. And and something I was most excited about was the coursework in applied ethics. 
you know, there's, there's a lot of concern about how our data is being collected, used, and stored. Definitely. And like the ethics of AI is something that I've thought about a lot. And the big thing for me is that tech has become like this new form of infrastructure, right? Okay. It's like the connective tissue for all these different parts of society. It's yeah. like how we socialize. It's, it's how we apply for credit. It determines what kind of news we see. It's a series of tubes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and if that's true, then AI, which by definition acts with less human input than other forms of tech, needs to be guided by rules that take stuff into account, like ethics, yes. for example, but also things like social justice or equity or even ideology. Okay, well, that's great because a part of this new program, students are going to be taking a course that's jointly presented by Schulich, Lassonde Engineering School, and the Philosophy Department. Whoa. Yeah, I know. It's all of uh, Marat's students, the engineers, and they're all going to be taught by the research chair in ethics and AI from the philosophy department. Oh, cool. And we talked about what sort of things are going to be talked about in that course. The most common one is if a self-driven car is about to get into an accident, like you see the baby, and then are you going to save the baby or to save the driver? I mean, that's the, the simplest thing. But there are so many things that you can come up with. So we are taking this very seriously. So we need people who are thinking about these kinds of questions. Yes, we do. Because it's not just about what decisions an AI makes, but it's about how you implement those systems too, mm -hmm. right? So AI is already being used in the real world, and one of the examples is in the criminal justice system. Okay. And unfortunately, it's already getting some things wrong. Surprise. So a report by Data for Black Lives suggested that algorithms that track the risk of recidivism, which is how likely someone is to reoffend, okay. end up repeating the biases of the past. So marginalized groups are placed at a higher risk, and it's that old garbage-in, garbage-out phenomenon that we've mm -hmm. talked about. Of course. So bad data or data that's just pumped into a system uncritically will give you skewed results. Okay. These results are already affecting people's lives. Yeah, ethics and AI have been a big conversation in the past few years. Uh, I mean, it's all over the news, and I feel like I've really started to think before I click accept on new security policies or even starting new passwords, because uh, these news stories have really made me worry about how my data is being used and stored. Yeah, right, and I think you're not alone in that. But it also gets complicated because I don't think the answer to these questions is only to embrace a perspective in which technology is inherently bad. Right? So instead, it's that it could go either way. Right? We could have tech that interrupts established ways of doing things and it could lead to all kinds of negative consequences. Or we can be thoughtful about how, when, and where we implement it. Okay. And hopefully what the result is, is that it will end up being beneficial. And you know what? I get that altruistic reasons might not always be the most motivating. And Murat had an argument for why his AI and ethics course matters, that even the most unphilosophical among us can agree with. Data scientists or AI people, their mind kind of works based on optimization. What am I trying to do is... I need to get the best reach for my electorate. So let's just collect the data wherever it's coming from. What is missing in that thought system, if you do not have ethics, is it might have long-term repercussions on your organization. The before and after stock price of Facebook, after the crisis, there's a stock price difference. So the value of your organization literally dropped. The minute that you can put a numeric value into unethical behavior, in this case, a dollar value into unethical behavior, then you can easily put that into your thought system as a constraint. If I behave unethically, it's going to affect my brand image. And if it affects my brand image, my stock price will go down. So I better not be unethical. So, I mean, I think that's true, but a part of me hates that we have to use the bottom line to motivate people to think about these kinds of issues. Yeah, but for some people, that's just what makes sense. Right. But 
we also need to think about the broader ramifications here because AI is going to be deployed in so many different fields. Yeah. And so the question of ethics is actually going to need addressing at the social level as well. For example, Microsoft recently called for the regulation of facial recognition technology because they feel it's so powerful that it actually needs government intervention to control how it gets used. Mm-hmm. And they're doing that through what they call their FATE program, which stands for Fairness, Accountability, Transparency, and Ethics in AI. And these kinds of questions concern me too. But I think getting things implemented into businesses, regardless of regulation, is a lot of work. There's a lot of resistance to adding one more expense to already shrinking margins. So I asked Murat if he'd ever used any sci-fi movie analogies to get businesses excited to get on board with this new program. Really? Sci-fi analogies? Oh, dude, just wait. His answer was amazing. Here's Murat. I literally sold this Master of Business Analytics program to our dean and to our dean's advisory board with Moneyball because people love Brad Pitt. Everybody knows it. So I literally showed the DVD sleeve of Moneyball and then it's like I was making the presentation to our dean's advisory board and it's a bunch of CEOs sitting there and they are like over 50, mostly white males. And I asked them, have you guys watched Moneyball? And they're like, yeah. Okay, so in this movie, this is what they did in baseball. And I want to do the same thing with analytics in business. Can we do it? And they all said, yes. What can't Brad Pitt do? Fighting Nazis, pulling off clever heists, and now he's expanding educational options. And it's still a great analogy for people who don't work with AI, right? Because instead of getting the full explanation of how the tech works, you just get the montage version. Totally. And it's not sci-fi, but it is fantasy. I keep thinking about Harry Potter. Oh. Yeah, and, and not just because of the kids. It's that the key to making the world a better place for both muggles and witches and wizards in that world is understanding the power and then using it wisely. Oh, right. And it, it transcends that. It's Jedis and Siths. It's Black Panther and Killmonger. It's Iron Man and Jeff Bridges. It's in stories across centuries and cultures about what happens when we are offered this, this great power, which is inherently neutral, and, right. and forget or neglect to apply it to humanity. As AI is on the rise, it's the soft skills, the the friendships, networks, and philosophy classes that Naveed and Marat talked about that are going to really matter. It seems to me that you have thought a lot about this. Yeah, yeah, I have. And I hope that the next generation of workers are watching these movies, are paying attention to these stories, too, and are thinking hard about how to wield the massive power of AI for everybody's good. Well, if Naveed and Murat's students are any example, it looks like they're off to a good start. I agree wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'm excited to follow these kids and their projects and, and see how they're changing the world. One hopes for the better. Yeah, we hope. Well, that's it for this week, kids. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much to Murad Cristal and Navid Nathu for telling us about the education of the future. And thank you to the many students of TKS who shared their work. Thank you for listening to another episode of AI Meets World from Microsoft and the Globe Content Studio. I'm Navneet Alang, and you can find me at Navalang on Twitter. I'm Becky Shrimpton, and you can find me on Twitter at LeShrimpton. This podcast is produced by Pippa Johnstone and executive producers are Stephanie Chan and Kieran Rana. And if you believe that with great power comes great responsibility, throw us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends, the super ones and the normies. <laughs> this is our last episode of the season, and we just wanted to say thank you for following along. We have barely scratched the surface of this topic, and we look forward to seeing where the future of AI takes us. We're very hopeful. <laughs>